All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And this is the first episode of the new year, so uh feels good to be back. 2022, big things for the podcast. Um, how Definitely some new changes. Uh, oh, it was good. It was, you know, just uh, hung out, relaxed. Unfortunately, I got COVID around that time. We talked about that on the pod, but, you know, still had a pleasant new year. Um, but New Year's for the pod. You know, we've got some big changes going on. We're going to get the social, some more social media, maybe an Instagram, a Twitter. And I think we're going to put a lot more dedication into this for our viewers. We want, we really want to grow this podcast. So that's one of our big New Year's resolutions. For sure. Um, and so let's start it off by having a great episode today. So a um, lot of news to get into. And I think the biggest news and actually the news for today is today is actually hashtag Clay Day on Twitter because Clay Thompson you know, is coming back finally to the Warriors. He's been out for two years after having that, what was it, Achilles then ACL or ACL then Achilles? I think it's a, wait, okay. I think it was Achilles. No, no, it was ACL then Achilles. Okay. It's ACL so, first. Had those back-to-back injuries, was out two years, but he's finally coming back tonight. So um, first, before we get into talking about how this is going to affect you know, the Warriors later on, what do you, how do you think he's going to do tonight? Like how many threes do you think he's hitting? What do you think his stat line is going to look like? Ooh, you know, they're putting him right into the starting lineup. They're not playing any games. You know, I feel like they really took their precautions with this. I'm going to say Clay's going to hit five threes and he'll have 22 points. Solid prediction. I feel like Clay's either going to go off or he's going to have like a really underwhelming game. I feel like there's not really going to be that middle ground there. You don't think so? I think he could hit like, I feel like they're going to try to get him a good amount of looks, which is why I say, I think he'll be, have a little bit of that rust. So maybe he'll take like 11 or 10 threes. And I think he'll make like five of them, which is still a lot, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think five is a reasonable number, five or six. maybe. I think I would agree with that actually. Now that I think about it. Um, But what, what do you think? the challenges are going to be facing him for the rest of the season. And how do you think the Warriors are going to have to adjust with him being back in the lineup now? Uh, yeah. So first of the challenges, I think his main challenges are just going to be, you know, shaking off that rust. You know, he, sh- I don't think he should go into this season expecting to be the same play he was two and a half years ago. I think that's kind of just unrealistic. And just, you know, as somebody who plays sports and as somebody who loves sports, I can just imagine being, well, you know, I don't, know what that position is like but I can imagine just wanting to be yourself again just wanting to get back out there and I think a lot of this is going to be mental I mean most of the battle he's already had to deal with is mental now it's at the point where it's all right I'm back don't set my expectations too high it's going to take some time I think that's going to be his biggest battle personally but how about you yeah no I think that's a good way of putting it I think like definitely he's going to struggle a little bit on the defensive end just getting back into the game shape you know you can run all the drills you can do scrimmages you can um, you know shoot around but nothing really gets you prepared for that NBA pace so I think just getting back into it is going to be a challenge and we're going to see some plays where he just gets blown by and like looks like not the same defender that he was but I think he could actually get back to that level it's just going to take some time. So, like you said, just being patient and getting used to that, which I don't really think is going to be that big of a deal for Clay because he has he has had to be patient for, you know, two years trying to get back on the court. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's going to be too crazy of a challenge, but I do think, if anything, that would be his challenge. Uh, now, moving into the second part of your question, like how is this going to affect the Warriors in general? 
I think this is going to actually have the biggest impact on Jordan Poole because Jordan Poole is the guy, I guess, whose role is going to be replaced. Uh, sorry, I'm not sure if you've heard the ringtone in there. Uh, not my phone just rang. Uh, but <laughs> no, uh, but I, I do think Jordan Poole is going to be the one who's the most affected. He's a starter, and he's he's the one who's kind of stepped up as a young guy and shown a lot of promise for this team. But will he be able to take that step back? Like still be able to put up the same production as far as like efficiency goes while having a more limited role because you know the big guys here. I don't know if I don't know if necessarily they're going to be limiting Jordan Poole's minutes. Obviously, he's not going to be starting. No, that's that's what I'm saying. I don't think his minutes per se are going to be limited, but his role is going to change quite a bit because his role that he was filling was the role of Clay initially. Sort of, but I think he could actually benefit from this because he was playing in the starting lineup a lot of the time. So he's going up against the first units for a lot of these teams. But if he just comes off the bench and now he's that guy who just gets to like ball out against the second unit, sort of like a Jordan Clarkson role, then he could honestly benefit from those weaker second unit defenses. So I could see this being a win-win situation, honestly. Yeah, actually, I didn't even think of that. And that's a good point, which is that he's going to be a fresh set of legs. He could just be that instant offense kind of guy for them. And that's also a scary thought. The Warriors have really designed the season well for success, not just this season, but their future. Yeah. And um, I mean, like, what, like, just speaking about the Warriors more generally, I'm just so surprised by how many guys they got on really small deals who have been so productive for them. Like Gary Payton II, he's just been a coming, been a great defender, um, you know, very athletic, explosive dunker, just energizing the team. Um, you know, Otto Porter Jr., we just saw on Christmas Day how he just took over that game. Damian Lee, super productive. Nemanja Bielica, he's, he's had some rough patches, but he's still been a good stretch big. Um, and they've just gotten so many, so much value out of these, like, these guys who they signed for not that much money. And it's just with the addition of Clay, this is going to be a really hard team to beat come playoff time. Yeah, honestly, I'm not sure I see any team being the worst at this point. The return of the dynasty. <laughs> oh god we thought we were scary done. well we thought we were done once kd left but no before we move on from the warriors though i just want to briefly mention steph curry because he's been struggling as of late like he's had some really really rough shooting nights you know shooting one for nine from three one for ten from three and putting up some games where he's putting up like nine points 12 points so what do you think is the root of steph's struggles is it just a shooting slump that he's going to get out of or is it something deeper what do you, what do you think uh, I don't think I could really answer that question because I, I don't really know where it's coming from. But, I mean, this isn't something that's been, like, short-term. This has been a consistent thing, I think, for a few months now where he, he goes into some pretty big slumps. Although he is still the same Steph, Steph Curry, you know? Like, he, he's still that threat. He can still drain the threes. But you see maybe Steph shooting one for ten, and you'll think, if he didn't watch the game, oh, you know, he's just getting double-teamed. It's hard for him to make make it get a shot for himself but he's missing wide open threes like literally just ball going in and out of the hoop and he's draining him in practice i think i'm not sure if it's a mental struggle he's going through because he doesn't seem like the type of guy to me that would have that a mechanical issue i couldn't even imagine it being a mechanical issue for steph curry (laughs) no no way in hell it's a mechanical issue but i don't know It, it could be mental but he doesn't really strike me as the type of nba player it's just the type of guy in general to be going through such a big like mental struggle, but you never know. 
Yeah, and I, I don't think it's – it might be mental, but I think it's just a slump, you know. And it's also just a testament to the Warriors as a team, the fact that they're winning games with Steph Curry playing this poorly. Like, they beat a, a good Miami Heat team who, yes, didn't have Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler for half the game. Um, but they still beat him with Steph shooting one for 10 from three. So that just shows how deep this Warriors team is. And with Clay coming back, they're going to be even even scarier. Yeah, 100%. Uh, moving on, we got the return of another guy. We got the return of Kyrie. Uh, and this is a big one, obviously, as well. Big win for the Nets. And hopefully this is the start of a turnaround for them because the, as of right now, the Nets are 0-8 against the top four seeds in both conferences. And that is definitely not a record you want to hold, um, especially m- most recently they lost in a complete blowout to the Milwaukee Bucks, although Kyrie did not play in that game. Yeah, I mean, the Nets have been really disappointing this year, and I blame it mostly on, like, first of all, the auxiliary pieces surrounding the the big three or big two because Kyrie hasn't been playing. Um, you know, we, we've seen very little production from guys we expected to see production from, like Blake Griffin. Uh, I think Paul Millsap is the biggest surprise, honestly. Oh, 100%. Paul Millsap, we lauded that as a great signing, and then he's just been a non-factor entirely. Um, and also missing Joe Harris definitely doesn't help at all. Um, but I expected a guy like Bruce Brown to really step up in this with them being missing. But, you know, they he hasn't. And obviously, Patty Mills has been good, but it's just not enough. And also, Harden struggling so much this year. He had a good stretch of games after that Christmas Day game, but now he's sort of been back to looking pretty washed up. And so he needs to get it together. And I think this is really showing that the Nets need Kyrie. Like, they really do need him if they're going to be a competitive playoff team and if they're going to try and make a deep, deep playoff run. And so it was good to see Kyrie back in the court against the Pacers. He looked a little bit rusty in the first three quarters, but looked back to himself by the fourth. Um, but I don't know how this is going to really work uh, with him only playing the away games because like, I don't know how that's going to function seeing how much they need him you know they they really do need him to win games and as you said they're 0 and 8 against top four seeds they can't win with just Kyrie and Durant or with just KD and Durant KD and Harden (laughs) I mean even like the thing is even if they like get gain a lead while Kyrie oh my god KD and Harden are in even if let's say they got they're against a good team they get it by six seven points in a quarter as soon as they go out and the bench guys come in their bench is just so weak that even the opposing bench unit without any starters can probably come back and tie the game or even get another lead. And it's like, then what do you have to do in order to rectify that? You have to play KD big minutes. And so KD's been playing insane minutes, as we've said earlier on this podcast. And, you know, how how long is that going to last? We're talking about KD, I, who's getting up there in age. He's come, He had a big what, Achilles injury, right? Um, yes. I don't think this is going to really affect him this season, per se, like KD putting on these, these big minutes, because we've seen him do it before. But I think what it's really going to affect is when the season ends, when he's all said and done with playing the, the NBA season, offseason comes, his body is absolutely defeated, and he will not be good for next season. His body's going to break down a little bit. We've seen it before. We saw in his MVP season, he was out for the whole, the whole next season with a foot injury. You know, it's possible for something like that to happen again, where he just has to carry such a large load 
because although James Harden is there, James Harden also can't be that guy per se because you still need the auxiliary pieces around him. So I, right. I just think his body is going to take it this season and fail next season. I think so, but I think it could even hurt them this season if the Nets make it to like the conference finals. All of those minutes and that wear and tear on Durant might finally catch up to him if they do make a deep playoff run, which is possible considering the talent on this team. So I think that the Nets really have to consider making some moves to try and help ease in the load off of KD. And I don't know how much flexibility they have to do that, but you know that's definitely something they have to consider, especially as we're approaching the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, like you said, flexibility is a big issue for this team since they have three massive contracts and the rest of their contracts are little things. Obviously, they have a, a, a valuable piece in Patty Mills, but that is their only useful production off the bench, and there's no way they're going to get rid of that. So the question is, are they just going to have to pick up like vet men's and drop some guys, wave some guys, maybe some trades with their vet men players? But it's I, don't, I couldn't see a team picking up a Blake Griffin or a Paul Millsap or any of the guys they have for that matter. I mean, you do have a little bit of youth and like Nicholas Claxton that I guess you could probably trade for something, but I don't really see what this team has to offer that other teams are going to accept at the trade deadline that will boost them. You know what I mean? Like another team isn't going to get boosted by the pieces that the Nets have currently. I mean, maybe you could package Cam Thomas with like, uh, someone trade Joe Harris and Cam Thomas and get a productive piece. But at that point, you're really stretching it. You know, it's like, I don't know. How oh, Joe much- Harris is another big contract that they can trade. But he, although he did not, actually, he hasn't really proven much this year. In the last year's playoffs, he struggled. So that is one piece they have. But is that really enough to get another team to buy in on giving the Nets another piece? Right. Because nah, you, you, you know there's no contending team that's going to help the Nets because, you know, they're trying to beat the Nets. So it's going to be a team that doesn't care or just isn't in a position to win. And there aren't any teams that are in those positions that I feel would want Joe Harris. Like, that's just a random guy to add to your roster. You want youth. The most valuable piece would be Cam Thomas because he's yeah. shown a lot of promise and he's a young guy. And so I think – they could get a good role player out of him. But I don't know if that's worth like sacrificing all of your potential future assets just to get a little bit of help in the present. But Yeah, like, exactly. So, I don't know. That's kind of a rough situation. Moving back to Kyrie for just a second. Uh, although Kyrie's back, obviously. But how much will him not being able to play home games hinder them in the long run, just in general, and like their chances of the big playoff run? Oh, I think it's definitely going to hurt them a ton because, I mean, you know, it basically negates any sort of home court advantage. Like if you're a top four seed, the benefits is that you get to play four out of the the seven games of a series at home. But the Nets, I feel like, want to play away because they get (laughs) our point guard back. Um, So maybe they should intentionally try to be five to eight. So that's a that's advantage would be actually that's so funny you say that because Nets have more of an advantage being a low seed. No, seriously. And it's just like this whole dynamic is so awkward and so unprecedented that I don't really see it being sustainable. So I think either, you know, the regulations are going to change and Kyrie will be able to play at home again. Kyrie will get vaccinated or something's got to give because I don't really see this being 
like a long-term solution. This seems well, like that's, very... the problem is it's not a Nets issue; it's a government and city issue. So that's not something that the Nets can rectify easy or at all. That's true, but I mean, I feel like it'll change eventually because you know the Nets are a big, uh, big source of commerce for the city of New York. Uh, I mean, the city of Brooklyn, rather. So I feel like. I don't know. They could maybe leverage something, make an exception. It's one guy at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just don't understand why they can't, I don't know. The city can't just like look away and let Kyrie play. You know what I'm saying? Because the hysteria that would be created in the media and all the other sources of outrage that would come with that. Um, but let's move on. Although that, that is a source of drama. Moving on to the next source of drama, we have the Julius Randall. New York. Yeah, also, also New York and drama talking about Julius Randle. He had a, I guess you could call it an altercation with his fan base, but um, he was fined $25,000 for gestures and comments he made to the fans. So if you don't know what happened, basically Julius Randle was booed onto the floor. I believe it was against the Celtics. Um, yeah. Yes, against the Celtics. And then... At the end of the game, he kind of put the team on his back and pulled them to a win with RJ Barrett. And at the end of the game, he gestured a thumbs down. And when the media asked him what that thumbs down was, he basically said it was to tell the, the fans to shut the F up. That's like pretty much exactly what he said. And a lot of not only fans, but the NBA didn't take that lightly that Julius Randle was making those comments to their fans. So uh, the NBA made him pay $25,000 and he wrote an apology letter on Instagram and, you know, on Twitter and all, all those platforms. Um, but do you think that fine was warranted and do you think the apology was necessary or do you believe he was in the right? I don't think the apology was warranted. I think that Julius Randle was totally justified. I think that if the fans boo you, if the fans boo their own star player, you have every right to be disrespectful back, you know? It's like it's a uh, being respectful and showing support is a two-way street. So if one party isn't showing support, why does Julius Randle have to be like, just take that, you know? And he won the game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, R.J. Barrett hit the game winner. But he put the team on his back and, and showed that he does care about the city, cares about the organization by winning the basketball game. So these comments mean very little to me. And I think it just shows that, hey, look, you should support your player, even if they're going through tough stretches. And so if you don't, I think they have every right to be to tell you, you know, shut the F up because, you know, you know I just think this. I don't I know, disagree I, with you, but I think I, it's kind of ironic because listen, Rafa, man. you're you're the first one to turn on any Lakers player. Do you no, know how much no. slander this man has said about THT and now THT's <laughs> finally balling out? No, not even. Jason. I've been, I've been a Jordan? DeAndre Jordan is slander worthy. That's the yeah, only yeah, exception yeah. to that rule. He's okay. slander worthy. He's no, he's nothing to prove, and he will never prove anything more. But you, you slander THT all the time, and now okay. he's finally balling out. And I was right. All right. Anyway, get back <laughs> to the subject. I done. I realize there's irony here, but get back to the topic. Do you think he was uh, justified or? was do you think the fans were right and the NBA was right in finding him? Okay. I put it this way. I think the fine is 
unnecessary. But I do believe an apology could be warranted. Although in the moment, like I totally think he was in the right. Like there's no reason for him to have to apologize or anything like that. But I understand why from like a, you know, selling your goods kind of perspective from a marketing perspective, like a managerial perspective. If you are like Julius Randall's advisor, you're going to be like, hey, you should probably write an apology for that. I mean, like if you go back 20 years, turn back the clock to the 2000s and fans boo you in the stadium, players aren't taking that kind of stuff. Players, I feel like today have to take a lot more like from the fans sometimes than in the past. Because I feel like in the past, the NBA allowed more aggression and fight from the actual players than it is now. Yeah. And I think we see that a lot, um, especially with social media, you know. How many fans like, a, a guy have... who's gotten into a lot of altercations with fans, like look at Russell Westbrook. I mean, he's had a lot of fans really just hounding on him unnecessarily, and he, he's had to take the, the brunt of that. So one thing I'll say, I don't know about unnecessarily. I think sometimes it's warranted. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, I think it's a little ex- extreme. Obviously, Although, yeah, like people can be a, a, like too excessive with it. But um, yeah, I think the game is better off when the fans are respectful toward the players because these guys are just human beings doing their job at the end of the day. Like they don't deserve to be, I, I mean, they don't deserve to be called like these like used foul language towards or like called terrible names or have or told that their son should die in a helicopter yeah. crash. <laughs> that's, that's horrible. And I don't think anyone, regardless of who you are, should hear that. But I think booing is different because that's like um that's just a part of the game. But it's di- it, that is also different when it's your own player that you're booing. So it's a complicated situation, and I could see how. I can see how you could think either party was right. I just choose to view Julius Randle as being right here. Yeah. Uh, moving on again, let's talk about Lance Stevenson, because this is a guy who has been doing some unexpected things in his, uh, I guess, like his second coming with the Pacers. I mean, he is a career high in points against the Jazz in a dub, you know, against the Jazz. That's a big deal, especially for a team that is really having a, a failing season. And then he puts up 30 points in 32 minutes against the Nets. So, I mean, you know, I'm happy to see Lance balling out back in the NBA. But how much do you think this allows Lance to probably sign a contract or possibly sign a contract in the future with another team or even the Pacers? Again? Um, I think the Pacers are just going to sign him for the rest of the year and see what happens. Um, I, obviously, it's great to see Lance back in the league and actually playing really well. I just would like to mention that in that game against the Jazz where he set a career high in assists, there was another career high in that game, and that was DeMontis Sabonis with a career high in points, 42. i uh, just like to throw that out there. It was DeMontis. Um, yay. Wait, his career high is only 42? I thought it was yeah, 100. I, <laughs> I, th- I thought it was 100. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I know. People get that confused a lot. Um, but no, I think Lance is playing really well. It's crazy how when Lance puts on the Pacers jersey, he turns into Michael Jordan. Um, and honestly, like, I think that you mean Lance... he turns into Monta Sabonis. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think that I don't know if he's going to sign a long term deal because what team is going to be like, yeah, let's sign Lance to a long term deal? When no, no, going... not even long term, like, let's say a two year, five million. I don't think any team would even take that big of a risk. I think that teams are just going to sort of keep him on like a non-guaranteed uh, type deal just to sort of feel out what type of production they're going to get from him. 
And he might be in a similar situation to a guy like Boogie Cousins, who, you know, was playing really well, um, got waived by the Blazer or waved, waved by the Bucks rather, and now is signed a deal with the Nuggets. So he might just be bounced around the league a little bit, you know, giving his services to any team that is shorthanded due to COVID. Um, always fighting to find another role, but I don't think he's going to be first player to be on all 30 teams. <laughs> could be, uh, could be. I think Rondo is actually uh, yeah, going for that right now. Yeah, how many, how many teams has Rondo been on? Like 11? I think like nine or 10. Okay. That's, that's yeah. pretty crazy. But I mean, this, all these like vets coming back to the NBA, it uh, feels like NBA no way home, you know? These... <laughs> it feels like 2014. Yeah, basically. So all we need – I feel like uh, teams that are struggling should just bring back players that were good for them. Like, uh, you know, Washington could bring back Gilbert Arenas. Um, yeah, I think go go back and get Brandon Wright for the Blazers. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Bring back Greg Oden. Hey, hey, how old is Brandon Roy now? Like 33, 32? You can bring yeah, him back. Physically, not play the I know. Game. <laughs> just, just <laughs> give him like uh, some crutches. No god thing. Yeah, wheel him out on a wheelchair. <laughs> um, but let's move on to uh, talking about another historical thing that never happened before. And that's Demar Derozan. He had back-to-back game winners on the thirty-first and on the first. Um, the first one was a one-legged three against the Pacers, and then yeah, that was crazy. Was a double double clutch or uh, sort of like a pump fake three pointer against the Wizards over two defenders, crazy shots. Um, what what did you think of these? I mean, that, it was just crazy. But what did you think? Man, like if you were to bring out these highlights, you'd think they were like from separate, like opposite ends of the season or whatever. Be like, wow, this has been a, a really great season for Demar Derozan. He's just been great. And then somebody's going to be like, oh, no, he just did that two nights in a row. You're like, what? That's like, to me, that's like a very Kobe-esque thing. Like, you'd think that's something Kobe would do, not DeMar DeRozan. But if if you were to ask someone who hit back-to-back game winners uh, two nights in a row, the first person they'd probably say is like MJ or Kobe, not DeMar DeRozan. So that's like a pretty big feat. Obviously, that's very situational, but it's pretty cool to be able to hold that record. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I think the shots were just incredible. Like the difficulty on these were insane. And funny that both of those were three pointers from a guy who's not known to be a good three point shooter and known to be like only a mid range God. Um, but I think, yeah, DeMar, uh, DeMar DeRozan, like he's been playing so well this season. He's definitely an MVP talks, regardless of how you feel about um, his game or how you feel about the bulls. He's got to be an MVP conversations. And another guy who's in MVP conversations potentially is LeBron James, 37 years old, year 19. Um, the Lakers, we got to talk about them for a little bit. They're back on the longest winning streak of the year, four games. Four games, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe five today. Again, we're playing the Grizzlies, so maybe five. Yeah, that's so hopeful. LeBron claims that this is because, quote, we're getting our guys back. So do you buy this? How do you feel the Lakers are doing as of late? And do you think LeBron James seriously deserves to be in MVP conversations? Okay, so let's break this down first. Like, do I think it's because they're getting their guys back? Not at all. But I think that's a bunch of BS. I think LeBron is, you know, being that guy who's – I mean, I'm not sure whether he believes it or not, but 
Like he's going out there and just saying what he should say to the media because he he's just very good at that. But no, I don't buy that at all. Anthony Davis still isn't back, obviously, and you're winning without Anthony Davis. Russell Westbrook, although I do like him, he's been a little bit of a problem. I can I, hate- I can say that. Why did you say that? I like you like him. You like the guy who in the last game had nine points and fouled out of the game, and we went on a run after he fouled out. Okay, sorry. Continue. Okay, okay. My, my point is, I mean, like, the guys who are stepping up right now are the guys who you, like, just are, wouldn't expect to step up. It's Malik Monk, who has been wonderful for the Lakers. Avery Bradley, who's also a great pickup for the Lakers. THT has been playing well these past few games. Um, who else has been playing good? Dwight Howard put up a, a 16 and 16 game out of nowhere. You know, it's like these guys who shouldn't be putting up the crazy numbers are the ones who are who are really stepping up. It's not your Russell Westbrook. Anthony Davis isn't even playing. And LeBron is putting up numbers and jumping like he's back in Miami. So this is a, a team that is having success right now because the guys who don't need to be stepping up are stepping up. And that's a great thing to have to know that you have backup role players who can come into the spotlight when they're feeling it. But I I can't say this is because the Lakers are getting their guys back. You're still missing Kendrick Nunn. I mean, you're originally the guys who were out were Trevor Ariza, Kendrick Nunn, and who else was out? Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis. Was it Anthony Davis? No, it wasn't Anthony Davis to start the season. I'm saying like in the beginning. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was I mean, Trevor Ariza, Kendrick Nunn. Was it Wayne Ellington? Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, so let's say it's those three. Trevor Ariza, he is not playing consistent minutes for this team and hasn't been that great. And Wayne Ellington is now out of the rotation, although he has put up solid numbers for the Lakers. And Kendrick Nunn still isn't back. So the Lakers were losing in the beginning of the season. Now you're going to tell me, that you're winning now because you're getting the guys back that you already had to start the season. Like that doesn't add up. I agree with that. And I think that, you know, this is just a case of maybe the Lakers finding more cohesion. You know, they, they seem to be figuring out a little bit um, and obviously powered by LeBron playing insane. But do you think this LeBron at center has been killer? Yeah. We're, we can't lose with LeBron at center, but I don't know how that's going to fit when we bring back our second best player who is also a center. Okay, um, honestly, I think what if instead of running Anthony Davis at center, we run him at power forward and LeBron at center? I'm not even kidding. I think the Lakers might experiment with that. I think that would be a good move, honestly. But the thing is, is that I don't think the Lakers should consistently run LeBron at center because the wear and tear that would put for LeBron is just going to be too much for him come playoff time. I, I'm or not sure about that. As long I think as long – as he's as long as he's not playing against your Joel Embiid, your Nicole Jokic, your DeAndre Ayton, I think he's fine to play center. I mean, sure, I I I would agree with that actually. As long as he's like, as long as on defense, you know, he's like they're they're running a defensive scheme where Anthony Davis is guarding the center because I don't want LeBron guarding like a, a seven foot muscular guy who's just going to be pounding him in the post. It's going to depend on the matchup because if you're up against a guy like John Collins at center, or John Collins isn't even the center, but Clint Capel's the center. Uh, Let me think of another team. Jaron Jackson Jr. is the center you're playing against in a a given night. I think it's completely fine for LeBron to guard that. Sure, yeah, that's an instance where it's fine. I I think it would just depend on the matchup. But it's been working. But what? So 
LeBron's obviously been great at center and has been on a crazy run as of late, especially with his scoring. Do you think he should seriously be in, in MVP conversations? Yes. I mean, if the Lakers are a top – actually, as of the seeding right now, if he were to, like, be in the talks, he wouldn't win it simply because of, like, seeding stuff. If the Lakers get to, up to a high enough seed, like, a, let's say a top four seed in the West, LeBron is putting up these crazy numbers. I mean, obviously, the story matters. He's getting up there 19 years old – or 19 years in the league. 19 years old. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think there's a legitimate argument. Do I think there's other guys who deserve it more right now? Yes. I honestly think namely DeMar DeRozan is a guy who has been showing off. Um, I really do like his game, and I, I think he's doing great, and I'd love to see him win an MVP. Um, but I think LeBron at least deserves to be in the talks, top four or five in voting. Okay, I'm going to name some MVP candidates, and you got to tell me if LeBron is higher or lower than them. So as of like – the, the NBA released, like, their um, their MVP tracker, and number one right now was Giannis. Do you think he should be higher or lower? Um, I honestly have not been following Giannis's numbers too much this year, but I'd probably say that's fair. Like, I don't exactly know. Actually, I do think it should be lower because I think KD should be number one. Okay. Well, uh, actually, Jokic is number two. Okay. Um, I'm fine with Jokic being up there. I mean, he's been incredible this season with, you know, his teammates out. He's having a literal historic season. Yeah, but I think Jokic is incredible. So I'm not mad. If anything, it would be Jokic number one. And then uh, number three is KD. Yeah, like I said, KD totally deserves to be there. And then I think my four and five would be DeMar and LeBron. That's fair. That's fair. The, the What about Steph, though? Do you think this like cold stretch as of late has taken him out? I think that takes him down for sure. It's hard to say. I mean, once he gets back, it heats up a little bit, gets levels out, he'll be back up there. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, we can move on from that, um, move on from MVPs to All-Stars because NBA released their first returns for the All-Star voting. And as per annual tradition, there's a lot of very interesting names that has <laughs> come up. Uh, among them, you know, you have Carmelo Anthony, who's number eight in the front court, Andrew Wiggins, number four in the front court. Let, let, listen to this. It, this is the order LeBron James, Nicole Jokic, Paul George, big three. That's a big three right there. Then Andrew Wiggins in fourth, then Draymond Green in fifth. So you have the Warriors fans really, they're really pushing their guys there. And then AD, which, you know, you can make an argument for it. Who? Uh, always disabled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then Carl Anthony Towns. So you're telling me Andrew Wiggins is uh, above Cat? Anyway, you know, it's obviously just the fans, but it's still funny. Um, uh, you know, also, Anthony Edwards is up there. But I think he honestly, like, sure, like, he's having a literal all-star caliber season. So, like, he's been a, like, borderline all-star. So not mad at that, actually. Um, also with Wiggins too, if Wiggins was an all-star, I genuinely wouldn't be upset at that because I think it would be between him and Brandon Ingram. The Warriors are, um, the one seed. I wouldn't be mad with them having, uh, two or three all-stars. I think Brandon Ingram just deserves it as a player. But even just the numbers, even Wiggins is having better numbers than BI. Is he? Okay. There's definitely a solid argument to be made there. 
Um, but then you also have D Rose, who's up there basically every year, deservedly in my opinion. We love D Rose. Uh, Kyrie Irving <laughs> is up there, despite having played one game. Also, Clay Thompson. <laughs> oh yes, Clay Thompson is number four in the in the guards. <laughs> Also, Lamarcus Aldridge is up there. I, I remember that. Wait, oh yes, Lamarcus Lamarcus Aldridge was number nine. <laughs> he has more votes than Fred Van Vliet. <laughs> Nikola Vucevic is on the list. He, what is he no, putting no. up? No, no, Vucevic is putting up good numbers, not All Star numbers, but bro, Lamarcus Aldridge is a role player. <laughs> I know, and he has more votes than Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, Tyler Hero is also up there, which is funny to me because, I mean, yeah, he's having a sixth man of the year season, but that's not all-star season. He's good. Hey, man, I like Tyler. I like Tyler. But, um, yeah, I, I, I like these returns. Um, no Caruso, unfortunately, because he left the Lakers. But Yeah, if, if he was in the Lakers, he would definitely be up on this list. We miss you, Caruso. We'll trade. Come back. Come back. We'll trade DeAndre Jordan, a second-round pick, and Wayne Ellington for you. No, no. I think this would be a pretty solid deal. Russell Westbrook for DeMar DeRozan and Alex Caruso. I think that's fair. Totally fair. Sweeten the pot with some, like, uh, end-of-the-bench type guys, like Anthony Davis, uh, and I think they have a deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's street clothes, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) All right, that's a good place to end it. We love we love Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook slander. Um, but thank you all so much for listening. Uh, hope you all have a great week, and we'll be back next week. Take care. Bye.